A universal poopy pants. <laughs> you just listen to you just listen to my latest episode. Oh man! Well, so I I was <laughs> I got COVID like right after getting kind of dumped. Well, not like and uh, and it was literally and then and there was just some work stuff going on and I was like, dude, this is this hurts. This really hurts. And I, then I had to spend, um, you know, I live alone and I like had to spend COVID isolation with my thoughts, which, you know, I'm a mindfulness teacher. So I was like, all right, it's fucking showtime. (laughs) But I was like, (laughs) we always walk the walk real well. (laughs) Right. But I, you know, and I was, I was like meditating and doing all this stuff and practicing what I preach, but it was like, Oh my God, this is so painful. And I, I couldn't distract myself with anything. Like I couldn't even, it was so, it just felt like stuff was coming from all angles and just like kind of, I got, I felt like I got to beat down. And well, yeah, no, I, it was. I asked that because it rang every <laughs> bell in my head all at once. I was like, this is a brilliant way to sum up what you can have at a certain moment in time. But, yeah. you know, the only permanent thing in life is change. So you only have poopy pants for a certain amount of time. And then you move on. You change exactly. your diaper or you sit in it. Right. It's good to get it all yes, out of the way exactly. at one time, too. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Work stuff, you, no, it felt like an accelerated course. And I have like a white erase whiteboard marker that I like sometimes write messages on my mirror. And I wrote, this too shall pass. But I wrote T really sloppy and it looked like it said, this poo shall pass. <laughs> <And> <laughs> even like, better. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave it like that. I just Very erased fitting. it yesterday. Yeah, I was like, like yeah, and you know, I I feel <laughs> a little bit better. I'm still I'm still a little bit bummed about the breakup thing, but like oh, it I was. I didn't mean to bum you out. I, no, no, in no, fact, no. I wasn't no. ready for that part. Well, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show <laughs> created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and Gary's in studio today. How you doing, Gary? Good. Uh, stop making people uh, all sad before we even introduce them, please. <laughs> Man, I didn't think I was going to pull the rug out from under the show. I was like, the Universal Poopy Pants was great. Well, we're joined today by Junie Butcher, breast cancer survivor and the host of the Tata Cancer Podcast. How are you doing today, Junie? I am doing great. And you know what? I probably should have told you this before. It, my last name is actually Boucher. Um, you know, you Man, may... Nice. Um, I butchered Butcher <laughs> or Boucher. Yeah. Well, I like to tell people, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the water boy. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought of immediately. Yes. Beautiful. Yes, that's my uh, sad way of of helping people understand how to say what it is. My my mama said, my my, my mama said. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, I saw that movie in the theater with my brother. And as soon as Adam Sandler said his name, we like looked at each other and we're like, this is the first day of the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you got to go back to high school right after that and look at your friends. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> they really talk like that down there. It, What's I went that? To, we were in Lafayette for about a week last year, and I was like, "Holy shit!" They talk like this down here. Like it was, so, <laughs> it was everybody looked like a character. Like just <laughs> <laughs> everybody looked like the pictures on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Louisiana is a trip. But like, really, not is. all of it. It's just like a... that one area seemed like very boucher, but the rest of it was like a little. <laughs> oh my gosh! But, yeah. <laughs> Don't use it as an adjective. <laughs> no, yeah, it's that's true. Now. Yeah, you should yeah. use it as an adjective. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> bougie, but it's boucher. It's like a little bit yes. Cajun, oh a little gosh, bit rock and roll. Really <laughs> a uh, a small excerpt in your podcast uh-huh. that has like this is what's boucher today. And yeah. <laughs> That is so funny. Oh my gosh. That's a that's an interesting idea. I will Yeah, that just came out of nowhere. See, somebody could be offended by that, but you weren't. So that's see, that's I throw it out there and see if it works. You know, I think life is funny. You know, even when you're you're sitting in your universal poopy pants, it's yeah. just you gotta laugh. You just gotta laugh. Isn't yeah. that the truth? Because again, it's a choice to sit in booby pants. So, Great. <laughs> you've got to laugh at yourself funny. for remaining in a dirty diaper. Like yeah. it's it's um it's just how life works. So Junie, thank you so much for joining us today. My I wanna give you a chance to tell everybody your story, what your cause is, and uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's uh you guys are a fun a fun crew. Um so yeah, I uh I was drawn to the podcast just because I, you know, I'm a young youngish survivor of breast cancer. Um I don't know when when this episode will air, but right now is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh you know, I was somebody who you hear a lot about people getting an illness and it it can be, it can be a catalyst for change. And I like to talk Mm. about how when, when things, when poopy things happen to you, you can, you have a choice. You can do, you can take a whatever pathway you choose. And, Mm. um, you know, not everything is always in your control, but your attitude is always in your control. And I like to talk about that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess just where do you want me to start? (laughs) Well, why don't we talk about what surviving breast cancer was for you? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. You know, the whole experience was something that kind of came out of left field. I really was not expecting that. I don't think most people who are diagnosed with cancer. Unless you're a they- hypochondriac like me. I expect it every time <laughs> I go to the doctor. <laughs> I, I just don't go to the in doctor. constant state of one phone call away from cancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I will Never say, WebMD. <laughs> yeah, right. That is one of the biggest pieces of advice that that oftentimes people get when you're diagnosed with cancer. As they say, don't consult with Doctor Google. But to be completely honest with you, I think it's irresistible. I don't know anybody that doesn't Google. How can you not? Their type. I, right. That, that's what I said. And it's like, I'd rather be armed with information, which is one of the reasons why I, I started my podcast. But, you know, surviving breast cancer, it, it forced me to really look at my life. It forced me to see what I felt I wasn't particularly in alignment with. Um, I ended up quitting. I ended up going back to school to follow my passion. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I kept, I worked full time. It was, it was actually during lockdown that I decided, you know what? I, I, I had this great paying job. I was working in the legal industry, but I just knew I wasn't happy and, uh, and it was very taxing. And, um, I decided to just create a different reality. And I, I went back to school for nutrition, which is something I've always loved. And, uh, and then I, I, kind of worked my way up to to building my own practice that now helps other breast cancer survivors navigate the world of survivorship. Because one thing with cancer is you have like a thousand doctors that you're working with while you're in treatment. And, and then all of a sudden, once you've completed treatment, they're like, okay, cool. Ring don't, a bell don't- and have a good day. Yeah, exactly. And literally, and like, don't, don't get cancer again. <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait, what? So now, I would um, freak yeah. out if I had it once um, and survived it because I'm already a phone call away from cancer because of my own <laughs> paranoia. If I've had it once, I would just assume they're not diagnosing me correctly every time I go in there. It would be a hell mm. to live in that reality. Yeah, it, it is a, there's a lot of anxiety that goes along with survivorship. And it's a big thing that people talk about. And it's actually why. After I got my nutritional certification, I actually went back and got an additional certification to be a a mindfulness and meditation teacher because I realized what a big part of the Mm. whole health journey that the management of stress is. And I used meditation and mindfulness in my, to manage my anxiety during cancer. And I've used it ever since. And it's, you know, helped me in so many different ways in my life. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very scientific minded. It is. It's a powerful tool. And just to relate to you here, I've actually been meditating for about three and a half years now. I haven't missed a single day. And I agree with you. It does. It changes your perception of reality over time. And time mm-hmm. is the key word in that because it kind of removes that veil or that perception that you're stuck in scenarios and that they're layered. When in all actuality, everything's happening all at the same time. And then you can realize that it will morph itself into the next situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, c- I understood that. agree more. <laughs> What's that, Gary? Like, I said, she understood that. I'm like back at like three and a half years ago. Did you understand that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She got it right away. I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. It's, do you I'm meditate, like, Gary? <laughs> I do have, not. Do you meditate? I've, Is it something I've that tried. draws you in at all? Um, I have things that I think are meditation in my mind. Like I make music and I get zoned into a certain thing and I'm, I'm very concentrating on the now and I shut the whole world out on little individual beats and sounds and I feel like that does the trick for me in some ways. So um, that or painting and drawing when I could just shut out everything and I'm very focused on one thing and I'm just like, I feel like that's my form of meditation. I don't know if it's the same in a way. Oh, but it is one. Yeah. It's one of the purest. Sorry. It's one of the purest because you're, you're creating art. Art is from a place of love. And when you're in that moment, that's a beautiful thing to to be able to do. That's, mindfulness at its core yeah yeah i've tried what i thought was meditation like i'm like very add and stuff and i've tried to like what i guess people had told me in the past was meditation of kind of sitting still and like being in the zone 
it just drives me crazy. And like, I'm trying to like not think of the 90 things that my brain wants me to think of. And then I just go crazy in two minutes and I'm like, I just can't sit here and do this. So like get back into something, but it's probably ways in which I could do that. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about meditation is that it's it's about stopping your thoughts. Uh, mm. And I, you know, I love to talk about that with people because, yeah, I remember the first time I meditated, it was like at a, some kind of Buddhist Zen center and they just sat me like literally like, stare at this wall. And and I thought I had to stop my thoughts. And it was like, this, this is terrible. Like, you're never going to stop your thoughts. But it's really just a matter of like letting your thoughts, like not attaching to your thoughts. And I, you know, like how beautiful that you are a musician and an artist. You know, I can totally relate to that as well. And Mm. that's a, those are very, exactly what you described. That's mindfulness. But I do think there is a a lot of power in sitting in meditation. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's just like attaching to your breath or sometimes it's just observing the sounds Mm -hmm. that you hear and the layers. Because the power of meditation, um, just like what Jay was saying, is, is like understanding like that everything's changing, that, that you're not your thoughts. There's so much power in that, that you're not your feelings, you're not your thoughts. They're just an experience that flows in and out. Kind of like standing in a tornado with perfect calm and being able to recognize everything going around you is not you. Mm. The cow, the furniture, the house, the car, the fire truck, all that stuff. And you can't focus on something in a tornado because it'll rip your eyes out of socket trying to go around. (laughs) So it's the same kind of concept. Once you realize that the cyclone exists, it actually starts to slow down. The key is to make it all hover, I guess. I don't know. I just thought of that about myself. You know, is if you can make all of that just kind of sit there and look at it, you can actually examine it, hold it, move it around and go, that's interesting and put it back. I love that analogy. That's such a good analogy. Yeah, the, the that's interesting. I think that that's the that's where it translates into like having self compassion. Is you just get curious about it and you just say that's interesting, <laughs> and you might notice you might notice wow that's an insane thought that I just had about myself or that I just had about this other situation, and you can just let it go. So, how did you relate this to helping people with breast cancer? So with a highly anxious situation like cancer, where you don't know a lot of the pain of cancer or the struggle of cancer, at least for me and many of the clients I work with, is the waiting. Because you don't know, there's this whole period of time when they tell you you have cancer and then when they're like trying to figure out what's going on and you don't know, am I am I dying? <laughs> like, what's going on? How serious is this? Because cancer really doesn't, you don't feel anything with cancer until it's become very advanced. So there's just all these questions. And how do you manage the anxiety and like not get too far ahead of yourself? That's a big one. How do you just, um, how do you manage fear? So a lot of it is like mm. getting into the present moment and understanding like right now I am safe in this moment. And when you do that, there, I mean, scientifically, just being able to relax and manipulate, I suppose, yeah, you can actually manipulate your stress signals with your breath mm. and stuff like that. And that's going to help bolster your immunity. It's actually going to help you 
withstand these treatments and have more strength to get through the healing process, both emotionally and physically, if you're able to relax and send signals to your body that you are safe, you are okay, instead of just being constantly bathed in these chemicals and hormones of stress that are going to cause like more inflammation and, you know, maybe make it harder for you to sleep. You maybe you don't have an appetite. You can't fuel yourself. So things like that are very easy, but also just being in acceptance because, you know, not everybody's going to have the outcome that they want, but how do you live mm. in acceptance of that? How do you move forward in your life and, and take advantage of the time that you do have if it might be limited? Yeah, sorry. There's a uh, Chinese mm -hmm. philosophy that says, um, and I forget whom it's from, but it is, uh, worry is preposterous mm. because it creates a current reality that doesn't have anything that exists within it. Hmm. There is no catalyst at the moment to give you inflammation, high blood pressure, panic attacks. If you were to sit and look, you're not in the doctor's office. You haven't had a scan. None of these things exist yet, but we allow them to be our reality in the now. And it's mm -hmm. such a huge waste of the fact that there is a now. It's the present. It says it's a gift in the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. That's you're full of gems, Jay. <laughs> That is so good. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly true. Gets, he gets worn out on my. Uh, yeah, my he reads all those like talk. waterfall signs at the dentist's office and remembers everyone he's ever read. <laughs> Do you have that that kitty that's like just yeah, yeah. hang in there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that like above your bed? <laughs> no, I told you the other day. I wanted, what did you say? Clint Eastwood said about um, film. Somebody asked him a question. They said, how has he been successful for 50 years? And he said, easy. I found the best people I could find, and I got the fuck out of their way and let them do their job. That's pretty much what he said. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. That's the poster in the, in the office. Yeah. I fight that battle all the time. It's like, hey, what did you hire me for? What did you hire the sound engineer for? You do not know how to turn that machine on. Why are you telling him what to do right now? Like, <laughs> go do your thing. I think that applies to doctors. And medical staff and things of that nature. You hired them. You put them in that position. We gave them the opportunity to exercise their skills. Let them do it. Trust them. Because the moment that you put trust in someone else, you get a chance to relax. Mm. Give yourself a break. Let them go do their J-O-B. There is yeah. a lot of there is a lot of relief in surrender for sure. Yeah. They're surrender to life. Mm-hmm. The uh, system is fucked, though. I mean, you're going to have good doctors within the system, but you're battling against, you know, a whole animal of insurance and who has enough money to get what treatment and who gets the good room mm -hmm. and who gets the bad room and who gets a specialist and who gets put on the curb. And, you know, that's, you know, I've, I've watched my best friend, you know, not survive cancer. And, man, they treated him like shit at the beginning, like literally wheeling him out in his hospital gown at one in the morning because he didn't have it bad enough at the time to warrant the emergency room. But then, you know, it's, but the other guy's got a different insurance. He gets to stay or a guy mm -hmm. could pay cash or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And it's like just watching that happen. And he's, you know, he's pretty not well off, but you know, he's middle class and there's people that are much poorer than him. that didn't That's even get the damn wheelchair, ruin. you know? 
uh, yeah, finance ruin a hundred percent. Your money's just gone, like forever. Yeah. And just if you could even have enough to just get the treatment you may need, alone like the experimental stuff or supplemental treatments. Usually, it's just like make them comfortable kind of shit when you're at that point, you know. If you even get yeah. that. I will say, I've, as as I've gone through this journey and and worked with different, you know, people and and just educated myself, there is there are a lot of flaws in the system, and I'm really sorry about your friend. That sucks. Um, that must have been hard. And uh, yeah, there there's it, it is kind of amazing how much you know greed factors into the American healthcare system. Mm. But I, I do believe doc most doctors want to help you. Um, but I, I am a big proponent of empowering people with information. You know, if you're that type of person, some people want to just say, okay, just tell me what to do. And that is a perfectly good choice to make for you. Like it's, it's your choice. I was the, the skeptical person who wanted to see outside of the box. And, you know, I made mostly traditional choices, but I also, uh, you know, there were times when I, I decided to kind of go against the grain and, and make other choices because they felt right for me. But I took the time to really sit with those choices and, and gather information. And I think that's an important thing for people to do. Yeah, they tried everything. You know, him and his wife were looking for every kind of alternative. And, you know, they, they were not the type they were going to sit there and just take it. They were like really... You know, his his wife, she's Brazilian and got a lot of energy and was not going to be denied um, when she needed to get some for him. And they, mm-hmm. they tried everything. And they had good doctors that weren't the type that were like discounted, like every type of medicine that wasn't like their traditional medicine. They said if that gives you comfort or it gives you a little more energy or whatever, you know, if it was marijuana at the time or even acupuncture type stuff just to relax. Like they were mostly all for it unless it was something they thought was going to like interfere with the treatment that they were already getting. So at least he he had good doctors. Like they always cared, but it was like the administration and like whatever they had to answer to was the problem all the time. Oof. Yeah, that's that's tough. The moment that there's two different prices for two different people for the same treatment, there's a Mm. problem. There's a problem. Or you know it'll help and you just can't, you can't have it. Like you just can't have this. Yeah. It's there. We have it right here in this cabinet, but you just don't get this. Like, that's when it's like, what the fuck? We're doing the greatest country on earth, supposedly. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, I don't, I don't do think you... that it was going to yeah. be, I think his outcome was what it was going to be. I think he ended up getting the best that was probably available at the time. It was a little, some hoops to jump through. I don't think that necessarily had anything to do with it, except adding stress along the way. But other people didn't get what he got, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He felt bad about that shit too a lot of times. Like he knew he was getting that's, special treatments. That's hard. And like, you know, he felt like a lot. Like we have some pretty powerful people we work for, especially in this town, and they pulled a lot of strings for him. Um, and he got places, you know, there were scans and stuff that were six months out or eight months or eight weeks. He would get in a couple of days and, you know, different. like some people have to wait six weeks to get, you know, whatever. And tumors are growing in that time. And it just, they can't skip the line and he didn't he would feel so guilty about that shit every time you know mm. like but guilty uh, for caring for yourself that's a sad sad state of affairs we've given ourselves no respect for ourselves we're sitting well, in just, such a position that we feel guilty for caring about whether or not we survive over somebody else or feeling yeah. like we're taking away their opportunity it's so sad for him because but, he yeah, was really trying the line to be there kind for his of family. thing yeah you know he was 
he felt like he skipped the line, you know, like I should mm. get in the back of the line and wait, wait, wait through. Like if I take that dose, someone else doesn't get it. And then like, that's not fair kind of thing. Cause there should be enough to go around, but, or, you know, that's just not enough hours in the day and not enough machines and not enough, you know, mm. engineers or whoever to build them. So, but he was just a really good dude. There was always put other people first, even in that, even then he'd always worry about his wife more than himself, like what she was going through. So, so sorry, but, man. Yeah. yeah, he's a, I got his name right here. Both of my friends, but I didn't mean to hmm. turn this into that because they're no, like, no, I, that's they give me signs all the time, time and like he like <clears throat> yeah, they're always telling me you know I, I don't know if it's like whenever I'm sitting there with my thoughts those are like the people that are in my head like kind of telling me like hey you're fucking up what are you doing or like hey that was great yesterday do more of that it's not always negative it's like that kind of stuff so it uh, yeah. it works sounds like an amazing person Can't, for sure a bitch my mom has had it yeah. for four years. Oh, wow. Um, she's four years into lung cancer and has been surviving the whole time. So it, I've, I've witnessed how this can just slowly, you know, take away your will. And what breaks my heart is that there's still life in that moment. There's still mm-hmm. life in death. And you have to enjoy every single bit of it. Mm-hmm. And I watch, you know, my mom dealing with the fact that she's looking at her own demise all the time. And I see like a little bit more give up or or something like that. And I feel horrible because you can't help them. Yeah. All you can do is sit, watch and encourage. That said, there's a lot of people that will probably tune into your podcast that do not have breast cancer but want to be there for other people with breast cancer in their life. What advice do you have for people that are living with someone who's got a diagnosis of breast cancer? Yeah, I actually just did an episode about like all about this, like how to support, you know, a loved one with cancer. And, you know, ultimately, like, just like what you said, people sometimes feel really helpless. Like, what can I do? And, And a lot of the times... It's just being there, you know, just showing up and letting someone know, not necessarily asking every day, how are you? Because they're probably getting that question all the time, but just Mm kind of checking in, not being afraid to talk about something that's not cancer. Because for so many people, it becomes like their full-time job and they just want to escape. I know I had a friend who was like, what can I do? I'm like, can you just like come over and make pancakes with me. And, uh, and, you know, we did it. We laughed and we talked about anything that didn't have to do with cancer. But, you know, also you can, I recommend being specific in your offers for help. A lot of people, if they're going through certain treatments, Mm. they can't move certain parts of their body. Or, you know, if they're lucky enough to have someone who lives with them, who's, who is caretaking for them, you know, give that person a break you know, that person, the the caretaker is, is oftentimes a very, you know, that's an incredibly hard position for a lot of people because you're trying to be strong for your, you know, the, the patient, you're trying to be strong for yourself. Maybe you're trying to be strong for kids who are, are in the situation and it's, it's exhausting trying to manage all of that. And, you know, pick up the slack where your partner maybe is unable to, to, 
contribute. So helping in that way is great. But really just, I think the worst thing you can do is potentially just not say anything. A lot of people freeze and they just don't know what to say. And, you know, I've, I've heard that time and time again, like there are people in your life that you think you're really close with that are, are you figure are going to show up for you. And, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't feel resentments against people like this, but it, it can be very painful if somebody just sort of drops out of your life because they don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, it, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to know the right thing to say. And I think that's a, a super powerful thing too. Just coming and being like, hey, I love you. I have no idea what to say right now, but I just want you to know I love you and I'm here. You know, that, that can be extremely powerful. You have to understand that the lenses that people are looking through with which they're viewing your cancer is something that can be traumatizing to them in a manner that we don't understand. When you face somebody else's mortality, that only leaves the next question is what about mine? And Mm -hmm. sometimes facing what about mine means having to face your friend with cancer. And that just doesn't work for some people. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was very, to me, that, that's exactly how I saw it. It's like if, if someone isn't showing up for me, it's, it doesn't have to be about me. It's, it's probably about them. But I do know that a lot of people, they lose, they've lost friendships over it. Like some people can really struggle with that and feel like, you know, it, it was really painful for their loved one to just not say anything. But you're right. Like, that and that's another thing with kind of meditation that helps people under mm-hmm. helps you grasp is like we see the world through our experiences. It's never really about you. <laughs> it's always about us. It's always us. Even the person that's offended that their friend didn't show up, like that's about you as well. Yeah, it always is. Go My ahead. My friend was just like, "Don't be weird. Like, just fuck, come over and hang out. Like, <laughs> right? just don't right. be a fucking weirdo. Like, can we watch The Godfather and smoke a blunt like we normally do, and not just sit here and talk about dying, like, and shit like that? Like, acknowledge it. But yeah, that's all. All he wanted to do was just hang out and have people not be fucking weird all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I would beg somebody to. If you had the cancer look on your face when you looked at me, I would be like, come <laughs> back later when you don't have that look. Yeah, he would say yeah. that. Like, like, you can't come in going. Um, people would come in and just, you know, cry. because I, it would drive me personally. I would have a heart attack. Like it would just constantly bother <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I yeah, would only yeah. think about cancer. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. You want, you want me. some time to check out yeah. for sure. And it was a good so, way you brought up about that caretaker too. Cause I would always mm. just go and let his wife go to the mall or something for an hour and just get the hell out of there and like not be in it. Cause she was there 24 seven and, she would come back in 12 minutes because she couldn't stay away, you know, because she's so worried about him. But be like, you're not coming back for an hour. I'm locking you out of your own house. Just go to the damn movies or something, you know, and she'd be right back there. But I think even just running to Taco Bell or something to get her out of there was good, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, compassion fatigue. Yeah. It's gotta be we nice. had an episode on it before and it's a legitimate thing. Mm-hmm. Happens in the medical profession, happens in... First responders happens in obviously caretakers of, of, you know, somebody with some kind of uh, illness or disability or something of that nature. So it is very important to recognize that there is such a thing and that we're there for our friends. And I'm sure his wife would still to this day be so grateful to you for that. Oh, and you know, just one thing to add to that is like, 
like, for example, you know, just because someone's cancer journey is over, like, don't feel like you shouldn't check in on that, you know, like, check in on her, maybe. And I don't know if you guys are close, but it's like, once it's over, it's over. But that is probably something that still comes up for her. And, you know, or or if a patient, once they complete their treatment, you know, just like what we were talking about with survivorship becomes this sort of lifelong battle with managing the anxiety that it's going to come back. And with breast cancer, unfortunately, it does come back a lot of the time, especially with early stage breast cancer. That's kind of a little known fact. A lot of women diagnosed with early stage breast cancer have a recurrence you know, they call it like a distant recurrence and and it can come back as metastatic. Oh no. So it's not mm-hmm. just coming back, it's coming back with a vengeance. Yeah. That's not unfortunately. Good. Does does a mastectomy reduce the possibility of a recurrence? And you know, yeah, that's such a hard question. Um, it's an ignorant question to be no. to be completely truthful. I have no idea, but it has to, I mean. I'm asking because I know that that's one of the huge traumas that come out of mm-hmm. surviving breast cancer. I mean, mm-hmm. hell, your clothes don't fit. You have yeah. you, you you no longer need a garment that has been given to you since the age of thirteen or something. Yeah, and you know, and I mean, that is I I did have a, a mastectomy, a single mastectomy. I was able to um, have like an immediate reconstruction, so in the same surgery, mm. they but. So I never had to wake up without like having a a, a mound there. Uh, I feel like that would have been really really traumatic for me. But a lot of women, a lot of women do. A lot of women don't have that option. And you know, I I asked that exact question. That's I, honestly that's not an ignorant question. That's a great question. And you know, I think maybe a little bit. But the the crazy thing about it is like that does not. You can still your cancer can still come back on that side whether you've had a mastectomy or not. And it can come back, you know, if if cancer comes back in a distant area, like it's a breast cancer cell that maybe is spread to your lungs or your bones or mm. your brain. So it's not necessarily coming back in that same breast. So, you know, there's no guarantees. That's the thing about cancer treatment that can be very difficult too, is you're given all these options, but like, you know, there's you know, they can say, well, we can do, we can just take out the tumor or we can take the whole breast. There are different factors that go into it. I had a more extensive surgery because I didn't want to have to do radiation because that can damage your your heart and your lungs and your esophagus um, and all sorts yeah. of things. So that, that was where the benefit was for me. It wasn't necessarily like this insurance policy that I felt like was going to prevent my cancer from necessarily coming back. But they do say, like if you have a, a BRCA2 gene, that's like the Angelina Jolie genetic marker that makes you predisposed to breast and ovarian cancer, they she made popular this choice to go the ultimate extreme and, and have both of your breasts removed. And sometimes women have a hysterectomy, they have the ovaries removed. And, you know, most doctors will tell you that is, if you have the gene, sure, it's a consideration, but it's also, it's a very, like she didn't even have cancer. She did it I was going to say, it's a preemptive? Yeah, that's Yeah. That's crazy. So, a lot of no doctors thanks. think that's a very, a very extreme thing. And you're not, you know, if you're predisposed because you have a genetic mutation, that is not 
100%. That does not mean you you will have, you will get cancer. And there's a lot you can do lifestyle-wise to help prevent that gene expression. So, you know, just know you're not fated if that is part of your genetic makeup. That's super yeah. informative. That's pretty crazy. Because yeah. I have no idea how this all broke down. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of doctors are kind of, in my experience, we're sort of like, oh, yeah, this Angelina Jolie thing. Um, you know, if you have breast cancer and then you, you it's determined you have the gene, they they probably will say, yeah, I probably should do a double mastectomy. But if you don't even have cancer um, to, to do that, I mean, that's a choice. And, and again, I respect mm. everybody's choice, but it's an extreme choice. So afterwards, when you're surviving, you know, being or having breast cancer, how much does self-acceptance and awareness play a role in that survival? Well, you know, I mean, I was a, a a woman, I was, let's see, 41 at the time. And I was, you know, I was in a relationship, but I was not married. So it's like there, and then that relationship, we, we did decide to part and, you know, then I had to start navigating the world of dating and like, how do you bring that up? So it's a, it's a little bit different. You know, a lot of people think that breast cancer, I mean, mainly affects women who are menopausal. And a lot of those women are maybe in established relationships and have been with their partner for a long time. So there's a whole different set of issues that come along when you're, you know, maybe single, younger and that's part of why I started my podcast was like, oh, there's not a lot of resources for women in this position. And, and let's talk about this in a real way. And, you know, it's, it's always kind of it, our culture, I will say, does tend to look at someone who survived cancer, not as like, not as something to, to let it stigmatize you. People are usually very positive or like, Oh, that's amazing. That's great. I don't feel like I'm looked at as like a sickly person. I think I just, um, but I will say, you know, navigating that conversation with a, a someone I'm dating is always a little bit anxiety provoking. And then just sort of coming into acceptance with the body. I will say, since you guys are two dudes, like it, it, one of the worst things you can say to a breast cancer survivor is, oh, you know, like, oh, you got to, you know, the whole thing about a free boob job. Like, it's not a boob job. Who says that? You like, would yeah. be surprised. Like, it's clown. I, like, <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's a character in a movie, right? I, I would probably Gary's say like, that. Gary, you're this dude? I, I would say, like, because I was nervous and didn't, like, have the right answer in the time. And maybe just because... I said, you know, it, it wouldn't be like, oh, cool. Like, that's awesome. It'd be like, if they told me out of the blue, like, I just wouldn't know what to say. And I might say, that's why I, I might say something like that. Just because. Yeah. I you know, if you're a person who deflects with humor, like I, I am, I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, I will say, yeah, that that's the thing is like a breast reconstruction surgery is very different than a boob job. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it looks different. It's, you know, when there's no tissue there and you're putting an implant, like it's, it's just like a, yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, you know, and, and every woman's reconstruction is kind of different, but it's, it's, yeah. And then if you've only had one side done, then a lot of women have to have additional surgeries to make it match. And then that creates all these other scars. And it's just, there's a lot going on. I, I am lucky enough that I've never had an issue, you know, in my dating life where someone was like, 
offended me or hurt my feelings or made me feel, you know, anything less than uh, it just, but it's, you know, you're, you're dealing with a situation. So you, I feel like I don't want there to, you know, that's something I feel like I need to discuss with, with somebody I'm dating before it gets to the point of like, you know, where you're going to see what's going on. In a perfect world, we don't care, right? In a perfect world, there's never even a discussion except for this happened to me. And it just becomes something that happened and then we accept each other because we're all different, perfectly imperfect. But that is not how it works. And mm-hmm. we have to navigate these invisible barriers in our head. I like to use the analogy of veils, like mm. just silk pieces of cloth or whatever hanging that actually have no ability to hold you back but will be there as some kind of fear barrier to what it is that we need to do. And we could just walk through them the whole time. Yeah. But wouldn't you be, I mean, let's say you're Oh, I'd lose my dating. shit. <laughs> I'd lose my shit. Like, no, if you shaved one of my eyebrows off, I would hide in a fucking, like, no, it would not work out for me. I'm in awe of the ability to navigate this. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation because it takes so much strength to go up against what has been portrayed as a woman's greatest attributes for some stupid reason. It's what makes you, it's it's part of what makes you a woman. Sure. Like breasts are part of a lot of women's identity. I mean, a lot, the breast cancer journey can be a real assault on your sense of femininity. I mean, I, I was lucky because I didn't have to have chemotherapy. I mean, I have long hair and it's always been one of the things that I makes me feel confident. And, you know, so if you're losing your hair, your eyebrows, your eyelashes, you know, these are all things and your breasts, like you, you feel, I I think a lot of women feel really alienated from Mm. what it is that makes them feminine. And that's not to say that those you're not feminine if you don't have long hair. Yeah. And also just, when you have a mastectomy, a lot of people don't realize this, you lose feeling in that area. So it's completely numb. And so you have to sort of re-examine and, and re-explore your erogenous zones. It's it's an experience and it's a journey. Um, it has really shown me a lot about self-love and about the power mm. of confidence. You know, I mean, I, when you, when I show up to a dating situation and I, I talk about it with confidence. Like it doesn't, I mean, granted, I, I think I date pretty sensitive men. I, I think men are great. I'm, I'm not one of those types of women that thinks men are all jerks. <laughs> I think men are, are awesome. And if you talk to a man and you're honest and, um, you know, you guys get to know each other. I like, like to believe that yeah. most humans are innately good. It's just that we take the opportunity away from them to be compassionate because we judge them in advance for what we mm. believe they believe about us or our situation, which when you say that out loud is a great big goat fuck because <laughs> there's no way you could be right. And if you are, you're Nostradamus or some shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have our mind made up about how people will react, not an individual person like anybody and i would be like just tell me about something like that because if i don't know that's when i'm going to say something really stupid because i'm nervous and it's going to like be i'm not going to care but that's when i'll say like the dumb thing because i just don't know what else to say and then it becomes more of an issue when you just told me ahead of time and there's no surprise like i'll be like cool 
but some yeah. people wouldn't. Maybe an ex wasn't cool, so now you don't want to tell the next one too early, and then you have to figure out when to mm. do it because you know you don't want to wait, and then it's going really good, and you know now some people just will disqualify somebody because they're too short, or they're you know one ear's bigger than the other one, or they're too this or too that. So it's like I think if that happens, it's an to internal you once, insecurity. Yeah, that's them. It, it is it's always them. Yeah. They yeah, need to plug but, a hole within themselves with a taller person or correct ears. No, yeah, it's it's like that. But you get if it happens to you once, you're thinking that maybe it could happen to me again. So then you're like yeah. going to hold back a little. I think it's true. It's lenses. Yeah, and I I don't I I don't think I think it's important again to like say for me it's been important to say something first and um, you know and then it's never been an issue. But, you know, everybody's different and everybody's comfort level, like people getting to the point where they feel safe with somebody. I think it's just like, listen to yourself. When are you, when do you feel comfortable sharing that, you know, intimate Mm. part of yourself with somebody? And it's also kind of a litmus test. Like if somebody were ever to have a really bad reaction to that conversation, I'd be like, yeah, you're not, you're not somebody I want to share myself with. It's a tattoo on the face. If you have yeah. a tattoo on your face, if somebody doesn't <laughs> want to talk to you because you have a tattoo on your face, they're a fucking piece of shit. It's a real quick way to weed people out. Yeah. You know? the, the tattoo on the face, though, like, that could be the indicator of many things, especially what the tattoo is. <laughs> like, especially like what? Like, what it is. Like, if it's a gang oh, tattoo right. yeah, yeah, or, yeah, like... Well, yeah, I mean, you don't go up and talk about, which, like, your compulsion. 80% of face tattoos are gang-related, I would probably say, if you had to, like, break mm. it down. Like, yeah, it's a it's a huge you know bold example that said the the premise is that if somebody is willing to judge you as a good bad or accept you based on the fact that you have a mark on your face that you decided you know was something that you wanted that's a pretty good indicator that that person's got some issues that you don't want to be hanging around with yeah i think there's just society tells you what these things are face tattoo mm. bad this bad that's bad you know this is not normal you know implicit they decide, bias. yeah people that put on tv for years have painted different characters as different things and like it's just mm. drilled into your head now that that's how people are you might not ever know anyone with a face tattoo but you've seen them on tv and they're always the like out the switchblade yep. like who even has a switchblade <laughs> yeah, it's I had definitely. A switch comb. I remember yeah, yeah. in the eighties, I had a switch comb from like <laughs> yes. the eighties last something. week. Yes, they mean like totally. in your back pocket Everybody right now. Had one of those. <laughs> in the eighties, he has it on him right now, probably. So <laughs> no, actually, I have I have a uh, Leatherman that was on my desk from something I did earlier. Yeah. I've been fidgeting with it. Yeah. So that's what I do. I have to have something in my hands all the time. Well, yeah, switchblade so, comb. Awesome. I do need a switchblade. Now I'm going to order one because I just want yeah. one and I'm going to comb <laughs> my beard with it during episodes. <laughs> what happened to your, what happened to your uh, co-host? I don't know. He's got really sick of this beard thing. He just never came back. <laughs> He's just combing himself. It's <laughs> weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's like hanging out with Chewbacca. <laughs> you do have like quite quite the beard. Was that something you grew during uh lockdown? I know there's so many guys that have grown beards in lockdown and then they were just like, I like it. And never you know went what? back. I keep describing this as a bicycle tire that's spinning. That's life. And the pandemic was a stick in the spoke of the tires. And everything that you did repetitively over and over and over again, you realized was a mental illness and you start to drop things off of your life, like shaving. 
<laughs> and, you know, combing or putting gel in your hair or something or, you know, wearing a polo to sit in front of somebody that you could accomplish in sweatpants and things like that. Felt it was kind of liberating. But to be honest, after the army, I really did not want to shave worth a damn. Mm. I, I was like, this sucks every single day. I don't understand the point of it. Who's this for? Like, <laughs> it was it was always something that lingered in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. Why am I shaving? Like, who is this for? Is it for me? Did I have a problem with the hair on my face? Was it getting in the way? Was it doing something? No, it's just there. And I mean, you can't see how fat my face is either when I'm 46 <laughs> years old. So, hey, there's an upside. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do at least have hair on my head. So yeah, which, is, the guy which pisses me off that you me. always wear a hat. Like, I kind of have to, but you have all that hair. Like, show it off. It's not going to be there forever. Jeez. <laughs> I like, like that you're mad at me for not flaunting that's, my gifts. That's, that's literally the second time I've ever seen your hair, and we've known each other for a couple years now. That's the really? second time ever. Yeah, ever. I was, I was at his house, at, not on the podcast, whatever, in the house, just chilling. The hat's on. Wow. Like, yeah. Do you ever take that I off? Do between yeah, haircuts. You catch me a week after a haircut or a week and a half after a haircut. You're always on. in between haircuts if you're not actually getting a haircut at the time well, in which you're doing whatever you're doing. You're in between. Pointing haircuts. out the obvious again. Yeah. yeah but he's always on. Always. 100% <laughs> so of the time. Yeah. We care about how we look, which is so ridiculous. And But thank you. Yeah. The beard is, uh, the beard is who I am now, I guess. It just kind of, it came with the pandemic change, spiritual awakenings, Whatever it is, midlife crisis, I think that people don't understand that those are all the same things. It's just how you react to them. You can either double down and get like a sports car and, a, you know, a gambling <laughs> problem, or you can double down and sit on your ass and, you know, meditate or make, you know, some kind of change. I feel like that happens a lot, you know, in humans. You've been looking for a sports car, though, right? What's that? You've been, you look, still look you've been, look, you've, you've been looking for one. <laughs> the diagnosis. <laughs> Yeah, no gambling. It's true. No. It's, no, 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 no. I don't have a need to gamble. You're in Vegas, man. You probably see some of the saddest things on the planet. Oh, yeah. The pawn shops here are great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how you we know it's messed up. We do need to get an episode with Chumley or somebody like that. Yeah, I, I could probably do that. That would be my pretty mom, funny. <laughs> my mom was on there, and uh, she uh, sold some Confederate money that was not really hers. Um, and, uh, like, like my cousins and uncles were like, how come you didn't tell us that grandma had all that shit? She's like, it's TV. <laughs> it's like, I didn't have it's that. TV. That's a great yeah. point. Mm, yeah. The true. images that we believe we should portray are the ones that are on the screens in front of us. We don't realize the importance behind being creators. We're all three content creators. That means we're all three putting out images that people will probably portray themselves after or model their lives after or take in a small piece of it. And the onus is on us as creators to put out content that's worth a damn. Mm -hmm. That's going to give people a moment to contemplate and become better people. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy your passions and things like that. Because I love music too. Gary and I love music, make music. We have... I, I, are we allowed to say it? We have a uh, we're we're in development of two different podcasts um, and moving on to a network. So we're gonna have an all well, in the main podcast or so. <laughs> fighting. Yes. What's that? Yes. You're the boss. So of course, you'd say it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't yeah. know, man. But <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're going to have a 
MMA fighting and music associated podcast. Cool. Um, which will be Beats and Beatdowns, I think is where Ooh, we're going. Oh, that's a good title. Right? Yeah, we tried and, a thousand uh, titles and we're back to the first one, which I think holy we should man. I was in Senate City for like a fucking solid three days. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good title. I, I think right? go with and that. Yeah. Carrie McKinney, who we had on not long back, she's been on a spiritual journey. She was a corporate recruiter and uh, openly an alcoholic and recovered mm. from it. And she is, her podcast is Finding Your Inner Goddess. Mm. And it discusses cool. that spiritual journey, meditation, and different ways to affect change within yourself. Mm. We're, uh, we're super excited. So much stuff in development. And it's going to be the tri- Tragedy of Pat. Oh, my God. The Tragedy Academy <laughs> Podcast Network. Look, I at, love that. And it's an Academy of Podcasts with they showcase not only change but pursuing your passions and being authentic. Mm-hmm. Because we're only made one way, and to be any other thing is a slap in the face of whatever or whomever created us. Yeah, yeah, it's I a good agree. time to be you know alive because you know, I started producing reality television shows in 2003 and that was when they pretty much started and before that you couldn't get on tv if you weren't an actor on one of the five channels or a commercial you had no outlet you know there's eight maybe 10 amfm radio stations in your town and a couple you know stations on tv and the playhouse right like you could never get your message and your passion like out to people before podcasting and reality tv kind of started that but not on a big scale, like where anyone could do it. And now, like if you have an iPhone, that's all you need, really. It might not be the best sound in picture, but you could start right now and put that on YouTube and start, you know, like I didn't have to do anything because I just, you know, started, uh, jumped onto uh, Jay's ship here and he made all the mistakes for a couple of years. And has <laughs> never given himself credit for anything. No, I mean, but he had 97 microphones already, He's third cameras and what works and what doesn't and had built it and tried everything that, you know, we would have done together if I would have started at the same time. But it's uh, but it's also part of the process that, you you know, you came in love with the process and like, I mean, he's those every speck of everything and why it does this and that and breaks it all down. And like, if you were to skip all that, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed this as much as you do. That was my spiritual awakening. honesty, that was my spiritual awakening. Music and the podcast and the ability to put out things, content that would affect change. Um, I had always known that I had a voice inside of me. And I think that all of the wrong turns in life roles that I had, corporate or blue collar or whatever they were, were me trying to fight against the authenticity that was within me that I had a fear of nobody accepting. Hmm. Hmm. I always thought that I would be not accepted for my talents or for being myself. That's why I wear t-shirts now with graphic shit on them. I love them because I didn't have them as a kid. Grew up poor. Then I went into dressing like a dodo in cubicles and then suits and flying around. It all sucked. All sucked. T-shirts are cool. Hats, beards, those are cool. People that create great content to help others like yourself, that's cool. I appreciate you and what you're doing. And I know that everybody out there that is taking in your content feels the same way. I want to let you know that you're welcome back on the show anytime. In fact, I'd be insulted if you didn't come back. 
And I think, I'm going to predict this. I think you're going to end up on uh, Carrie McKinney's Finding Your Inner Goddess podcast when we get that launched. I would love that. I would love that. I love You two will love each other. Yeah, she sounds great. She sounds fantastic. She's amazing. 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 We're lucky to have her on board. Um, Awesome. Gary, do you have anything you want to wrap up with or anything you want to ask that we didn't? uh... I would just say like, your podcast seems like it's specific. But it's not necessarily because people draw inspiration in everything that Mm. maybe haven't had cancer or know somebody that has like the stuff that you've been through that you've pressed through in the way that you've done it is going to be able to inspire people to get through their shit, whatever it may be. And, you know, probably not as bad as that push through it. So people can look at that and see the way that you did it and get through their shitty boss or the marriage that's falling apart or like whatever they got going in their life that sucks. Like there's ways to get through that and not like lose yourself and everything. So I think just because yeah. we talked about that topic, I don't think people should think that's what your podcast is only about and they should check it out even if that doesn't apply to them. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it's really all about like what is, it's really an exploration of what does it mean to heal? And I think we all have something to heal from. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I try to Man, be very, very authentic. You know, so it's the uh, easiest thing to be. Yeah, right. Nobody says that. We make authenticity sound like a job. Well, if it's a job to be authentic, you're not being authentic. Right. And people, <laughs> yeah, people overthink it. People overthink it. But like it's it's about recognizing that you're enough, you know, and, and the the authentic you is going to have the most power and impact and joy. So, you know, that that's that's uh yeah, you guys, you guys embody that, and I. It's been really fun talking to you. It's I, I don't get to talk to a lot of um, male-led podcasts, so this has been a really nice treat for me. Awesome. I don't know if we, it's we like led or it's more like a car crash the whole time. I don't know. <laughs> it's hundred like, percent a car crash. <laughs> it's a tragedy. It makes you look. Yeah. Everybody wants to see a tragedy, or at least drive by and look at it. That's how yeah. it works. We got accidents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much, Junie. I genuinely appreciate you. You want to tell everybody where they can find you so that uh, you'll also be in the show notes, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my t- my podcast, again, is called Tata Cancer. It's on all the major platforms. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, and it's at Junie B. Well. Um, also on Facebook, at Junie B. Well. And uh, my website, JunieBWell.com, I do take one-on-one clients in my nutritional therapy practice. And I'm a member of, uh, in Portland, Oregon, the uh, Rose City Sexual Health Collective, um, where mm. I, I help women kind of... Um, you know, I help support the body to find balance so that people can work holistically with the uh, sex therapists to, to kind of like, you know, get a, have a better relationship with their bodies and their sexuality. So you can mm. find me there too. So important. So important. Yeah. We're, we're given distorted views of what human sexuality actually is. Um, I'd love to have you back on just to talk about that at some point. Um, sure. I think that's something that stigmas and things like that or implicit bias or misunderstandings of who we are and how we should interact with others is a huge topic. It actually yeah. created a lot of the problems in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to delve into there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Junie. I genuinely appreciate you. And remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning. What's up, academics? 
This episode is sponsored by PodPage. Build a beautiful podcast website in five minutes. Automatically create a beautiful listener-friendly podcast site from your RSS feed. So you can import your RSS feed into this site and it automatically generates everything for you. Puts in your artwork, puts in your show notes, puts in all those links, your guest info, everything right there. You get to customize the design to create a professional look that you'll be proud of in a few clicks. You don't have to have a coding background. You don't have to have technical knowledge. This is all plug and play. Choose the design you like, fit and tailored to your brand, the right colors, the right layout, so many different things to choose from. The templates are endless. If you're a beginner, then go to PodPage and find the most organized way to create and monetize your show using the easiest templates. Start out on the right foot. And for veterans, have you been looking for a way to streamline your workflow and focus on what matters, the content or your listeners? Then go to PodPage, plug in your RSS and preview your site for free. No more WordPress and YouTube videos to figure out what else needs to be integrated. Not only will you get the best centralized podcast website, you're going to also find all the missed opportunities for monetization, branding, and critical integrations at the click of a mouse. Whether you want to start a new show or take your existing one to a whole new level, PodPage is the best source to create your site. There are three tiers to choose from, free, basic, and pro. Basic gets you that custom domain, free gets your feet wet, and then of course pro, that's where you engage your listeners. So get out there, go to the tragedyacademy.com, click on the sponsors tab and help support the show by clicking the pod page link and purchasing your new site today. And remember academics, be cool and keep learning.